When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back to a new installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. It's been a while. I'm Miami Hurricanes beat writer and college football writer, Manny Navarro from The Athletic. Of course, joined as always here by Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast. It's Tuesday, February 6th, right around 3 p.m. Carlos, uh, the last time we did a show was January 10th, and the topic at the time was Mario's trouble recruiting the quarterback position. (laughs) Uh, we talked about maybe the Canes are on a similar path to Michigan, right? Taking a long time to win a national championship, but building it slowly but surely. Uh, And we talked a little bit about, you know, what it takes to keep underclassmen from leaving the program. Uh, A lot's happened since then. Nick Saban is retired. Uh, Miami landed Cam Ward in the transfer portal. That's kind of a big deal. Uh, They got Michelle Powell, the defensive back from Washington, uh, after Washington's coach left to replace Nick Saban at Alabama. Uh, Cam McCormick said he's coming back for a ninth year. Tim Harris Jr. left to be the running backs coach at UCF. We have the schedule that came out. Uh, Tennessee, Florida State, and Florida, they're all in the midst of, like, NIL-related NCAA investigations. Uh, The SEC and Big Ten are trying to take over college football. I feel like we have a thousand things to talk about. Um, But I'm going to leave it to you, brother. What what do you want to talk about first? Because it's been a long time since you and I have had a chance to chat. Yeah, no, man. It feels like forever. So um, I think the most interesting thing to discuss right away is the meeting invite, the passcode you sent me yeah. to get into the meeting. The first three digits were 976. You remember those 976 numbers back in the day? 976-duck? <laughs> that, to me, is the most interesting thing of anything you mentioned. Like that's just, it's, been, it's been in my mind. I've been rattling all these topics. I'm like, damn, look at that 976. What are the odds? And geez, those commercials were cheesy. You had to be up late at night when you were uh, starving for any sort of uh, skin on on the television. Those nine seven six ads were clutch. Yeah, they were back when we were teenagers. And uh, and well, come know. on, bro, teenagers. We we're like elementary school. Oh, okay, well, yeah, it was a long time ago. It was a very yeah. long time ago. Yeah. Um, Carlos, it, it like I said, it's been a very busy time. There's a lot of different places we can start. We're gonna definitely get to a mailbag because we've had. You know, some of our our followers and listeners complain that we haven't done a show in close to a month. But I'm going to be honest. I'm going to start the show with honesty. It's not that I didn't want to do a show. It's that, Carlos, it takes a little bit of work. Like, I like talking to you. I like picking up the phone and and calling you, but to record it, to upload it to YouTube, to send it to my producer. To schedule it. Like, it's uh, a... Yeah, and and it's getting to be tax season for you. Well, it is tax season. It's a full swing right now. I'm actually sitting in the office recording this. Yeah, I, I'm like coaching my 12 year old daughter's soccer team. I've got practice in a few hours. Uh, you know, like I got the, people sitting in the waiting room waiting, and they're like, I'm, "Hey, I've got to do my taxes. It's very important." Like, yeah, listen, relax. Uh, I got a, I got a podcast to record. Well, you, you yeah, they're, 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 your your priorities are, are much more important because that's yeah, the, the actual hurricanes work. come first. 
Yeah, but the Hurricanes come first for us here. Um, let's start with Cam Ward. Um, I know there's going to be questions related to that in the mailbag, but you and I talked about this over a month ago when we were looking at potential quarterbacks from Miami, and Cam Ward wasn't necessarily your number one choice when we talked about what we liked about the available quarterbacks. Ultimately, it took about $1.5 million and a lot of patience from Mario Cristobal um, and convincing from Mario Cristobal to get Cam Ward to say, okay, I'm going to go back and spend another year in college. It also probably took uh, some NFL scouts telling him, hey, you're not going to be a first or second day pick. You're better off going back to school. But in the end, Miami got themselves a quarterback with lots of experience, um, a guy who can come in and I think elevate this program to 10, 11 wins uh, in his one year here and lay the foundation really for a big step forward in this program in, in Mario Cristobal's third year. What is your takeaway from getting Cam and ultimately did Miami get the right quarterback? Listen, I think compared to what they had available to them at that point, I think Cam Ward was the best available option. Um, I think right from the beginning, they they targeted Cam Ward as a guy they wanted. So they felt comfortable enough to wait it out and see if he landed with uh, or made the decision to skip the NFL and come come over to Miami. That to me speaks volumes because that means that Shannon Dawson has the confidence in this guy to run the offense at a high level for him. Mario Cristobal feels the same way. They feel like he can make a major impact immediately. And I think he can have the same sort of impact that De'Ari King had on the team a couple of years ago, elevating them to, to sort of national prominence and limelight and having an explosive offense for the first time down here in a long time. Um, do Did I prefer him as a number one guy? No, but I think he was number two to me in terms of the guys that were available early on in the process, number two or number three. I think he's a very good quarterback. I think he has some flaws, like anybody that's in the portal. But I think what he brings to the table will help Miami a lot. He's a guy that's thrown the football a ton. Is coming from a run-and-shoot offense, so he's put the ball up a lot. I think a lot of what his flaws are in terms of the turnovers, you know, the fumbles, uh, those are that's concerning. But some of those things in terms of the sacks and the interceptions a little bit are concerning only because I think it's maybe he forced the ball a little bit or maybe the offense itself wasn't best suited to help him uh, sort of create the best opportunities for success. I'll give you an example. So, you know, Miami isn't a real big play-action team either. Um, but they're, 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 they do have opportunities for it, right? If Shannon Dawson ever decides to run play action, uh, it, it should be successful because they have a really good running game. Cam Ward only threw 79 attempts out of 486 off play action last year. And that's minuscule, right? That's minuscule compared to the amount of attempts. That's only like 60.2% uh, of his dropbacks total, right? Within those dropbacks, Within those play-action dropbacks, he completed 77.2% of his passes. That means that guy was assassinating defense off of play-action. You combine that with Miami's run game, and if Shannon Dawson plays this right, and I think that's going to be the overarching theme here. I think Cam Ward has a talent to help this team, but it's also up to Shannon Dawson to really elevate this offense in terms of creativity, how they run it, how they operate, and what they and how they use their personnel. If he could use play action with Cam Ward and really take advantage of that run game, they could be very explosive because not only is he really good coming off play action, but he's a really good deep ball thrower, right? In that 20-plus range last season, Cam Ward completed 40.4% of his passes, which is a huge amount in that depth, in that range, and had 10 of his touchdowns in that range, 10 touchdowns to only two interceptions. My concern is that middle range, that 10 to 19 range, he threw five of his seven interceptions, only threw six touchdowns in that range. But if you want to throw it deep, if you want to go play action, 
Cam Ward is as good as it comes. Now he's got to protect the football when he's scrambling around, when he's moving in the pocket. I think having a great offensive line also helps that, which Miami has. He's going to have two of the best receivers in the conference to throw the football to in terms of returning guys. Uh, obviously, Xavier Restrepo, 1,000-yard receiving. Uh, Jacoby George, who had a little interesting event uh, during the offseason with a car, which I guess the, drop, the charges on that were dropped. Uh, over 800 yards receiving. Um, you know, they did lose one of their best rece receivers in Colby Young to Georgia. Um, they had Rashard Smith leave the program. Uh, so, you know, to go to SMU. Um, so, they're, you know, to me, I guess when I look at Cam Ward, I say to you, does he have enough weapons around him? Because let's face it, Elijah Royal hasn't been healthy at the tight end position. We're hoping he's healthy this coming season. Hasn't really been for the last two years. The tight end position has not been and was not very good last year. Um, and, and Miami's got a lot of incoming freshmen. Uh, I know they got Isaiah Horton back. When you look at this offense, do they have enough weapons for Cam Ward to flourish with? I think they're going to need some of the younger receivers to step up because last year, 90% of the, the the passing production in terms of the receiver room came from three guys. Mm -hmm. came from Jacoby George, Xavier Restrepo, and Colby Young. And now one of those guys is gone. So you've got to find a third person to step in there. Now is it going to be Isaiah Horton? Is it going to be Bobby Washington? Uh, Robbie Washington, whichever of the two twins it is. Robbie. Um, Robbie. Is it going to be Ray, Ray Ray, right? Or is it going to be another guy that comes in uh, and right. steps in, maybe like a Josiah Trader, right? A JoJo Trader. Mm -hmm. Who's it going to be? Now, the other issue is, can they finally get some production out of the tight end, right? I don't think that Elijah Royal coming off these injuries, he had two severe injuries the last you know, year and a half, year. Um, and Cam McCormick is definitely, definitely not a receiving threat, as we saw. It's great that he's coming back for his ninth season, but he's basically a battering ram. Uh, he's like man ram from He-Man. That's basically what Cam Ward does. <laughs> the next year offensive lineman out there. That's basically it, right? So to me, for them to be explosive and for them to really get the production they need out of this offense, they've got to find a number three receiver and they've got to find depth at the receiver position. But more importantly, they've got to find a tight end that can stretch the field down the middle of the field, be an outlet underneath for Cam Ward and be a reliable target that can produce, right? Especially in the red zone. Um, that's another thing they missed in the red zone was tight end production. That helps a lot. Um, and I think you also got to involve your backs in the passing game. I don't think they did a good job of that last year as well. So I think, again, like I said, it's going to fall on Shannon Dawson to help Cam Ward by creating and designing plays to get the ball into his playmaker's hands and give them opportunities to take the ball and go the distance, not necessarily have to throw the ball 20, 30 yards downfield each time and try and make big plays that way, but to put them in situations where they have open field, they catch the ball, and they can make a move and go. The good news is Cam Ward is around. He is working with his receivers. Uh, he does have most of the guys, I think, healthy coming off of last season, so it's not like there's key guys that are out. Uh, I think Mark Fletcher's probably the only one following, you know, his foot injury to end the season. I think he's kind of resting and recovering from that, is, uh, from from his from, from whatever it is that he had done in the offseason. Um, but he's expected back, you know, in time for the fall. Even if he doesn't play in the spring, he'll be around uh, as he recovers from the injury in the bowl game. Uh, Trevante Citizen was cleared in the bowl game to play. He's still on the roster. He's an exciting guy in the backfield that I think the coaches certainly want to get involved with. Uh, Miami has 16 of their 27 freshmen already on campus enrolled, um, including JoJo Trader and Nikar, two of the three uh, premier receivers. Uh, so, you know, there's guys on campus, Chris Whitley Humphrey, the running back who came, well, the kid from South Barrett ran for over 2000 yards. I heard he's playing some slot receivers. Somebody told me, um, so, you know, we'll see we'll see ultimately what how Ward and, and this offense shakes out. But it is going to be year two 
in the same system, which is good. And, and there's always a jump, right, from year one to year two. When, you ha when, when you're when you in uh, the same system, there's familiarity. There's guys who have played in it. They, they know the language. There's none of those sort of barriers. Uh, Except for the quarterback. Right. And, and really, the only coaching change to this point, Carlos, is Tim Harris Jr. And running back coach is one of those things that, you know, I, I don't want to diminish the role, but it's really there for – it's like the tight end position. You're there to, to be a recruiter. Uh, on a coaching staff, right? I mean, you, you have seven, eight guys you're in charge of. You got to make sure they stay healthy. You got to make sure they don't fumble. You got to make sure they score when they have the opportunity. But it's not like Miami lost their receivers coach. It's not like Miami lost their quarterbacks coach. It's not like they have to have a whole new offense. So I think all of those things are going to be advantages for Cam Ward walking in here, that he's got guys, uh, at least, you know, in Restrepo and Jacoby George, that know what they have to do in this offense to help him adjust. Even if they're even if it's exactly the same exact scheme to whatever it was he was running at Washington State or or even a little different, like it just it helps to have guys that know what they're doing versus a completely new group of guys. And, you know, so I think Miami's offense is in a very good position. On the other side of the ball, defense, you know, we talked about the safety position, them needing to go out and get somebody, right? The experienced cornerback safety, those positions to me I'm still not 100% convinced that they've got everything that they need. I, I came out with a couple of different articles uh, during these last uh, few weeks that, you know, the athletics asked me to kind of diversify my portfolio, so to speak. I've written stories about the Gators recruiting class. I've written stories about the state of Florida. I studied all. Yeah, and listen, know. and knowing that you're a Florida State fan, that Gators <laughs> article must have really killed him. <laughs> well, listen, I, I ended up researching, like doing full roster breakdowns. I called the beat writers in, in you know, in Gainesville and, and Tallahassee. Uh, you know, I talked to Larry Bluestein. I talked when to you call those beat writers in Gainesville. When there is there are all their ringtones the same? It sounds just like that, actually. Um, but I, I can't hear that. I just hear that when I'm with them in the in the you know, or is it like you just hear that scene booth. from Deliverance? Yeah, it's one of those things. Um, but I talked to those guys, so I did like complete roster breakdowns on the Gators, the Knowles. Their recruiting classes, all the sort of talent coming in. I did it for the ACC and the SEC, so I'm pretty familiar. I think my I called Miami a winner in the transfer portal, even though I think, man, I would love it if they could have gotten a, a really, really good like number one quality cornerback. Like even the kid that they had last year that they brought in from Oklahoma who came in and I thought did a good job. Uh, what's his name? You're gonna have to. Jaden Davis. Jaden Davis. Yes. Um, listen, if they're not recruited here and they're just a one year transfer, they're in and out my <laughs> my head pretty quickly. Okay. Um. Like somebody like that, that would have been nice to get. Powell, I think, is going to be a guy who plays safety. Um, I think, you know, more likely than not, that's where they're going to have him just because of his experience, being able to lead the defense in the back end. Uh, and then you're going to have guys like Damari Brown. Um, Takori Couch is gone. What's the other kid that's back? Uh, Daryl Porter Jr., who started a bunch of games. Those will probably be your top two corners. But still, it's a position that going into the season, I'm a little nervous about. I think defensive line, they did a really good job. Linebacker, you know, they they lost some experienced guys, but they really like their freshman class, right? And they really like this kid, uh, Aldarius Hayes, that they picked off from Florida. They told him he was going to be the next Ray Lewis. So, like, I, I think everything is trending in the right way. I'm just a little nervous still about the defense. What are what are your thoughts when we think about? Yeah, I, Port I, I agree. I think I think that back end is the the main concern on the defense for me. I think they're solid on the defensive line. I think they added a couple defensive tackles uh, that add size to that front which they desperately needed. I think they're solid at linebacker. They're probably the deepest they've been at linebacker in a long, long time, which makes me feel a lot better. You know, Francis Manuano is back. He had a hell of a season last year. You're adding a Darius Hayes. You still have Wesley Besaint. You still have a bunch of guys on that roster. 
that either have played or have potential, and that's really good. So on the back end, to me, that's a concern. You don't have the corners, I think, to really be elite uh, in the secondary or to be very good in the secondary, but that's where safety help comes in, and that was my greatest concern following the departure of Cam Kitchens and James Williams. I think the addition of Mish Powell being back there as an experienced guy that's played a lot of football, that's seen a lot of stuff, to be able to guide and direct that secondary and get those guys in line and in order and not make silly mistakes because he's seen it all basically, to me is a huge help. He may not be as talented as a James Williams or may have not been as heralded as Cam Kitchens, but he knows how to play football. He's seen a lot of stuff. And if you play mistake-free football on the back end, that's exactly what you need. Yeah. Um, Changing gears just a little bit. We'll we'll talk about the schedule in a minute. Um, But – I had an interesting conversation, uh, you know, the different people that I talked to uh, behind the scenes and somebody brought up listening to our podcast and talking about how you and I discussed how you have to be budget smart. Like even though Miami has a really strong NIL fund, Mm -hmm. you can't buy all the five stars in the world, although it it felt like that because they ended up with three five stars on the defensive line in this class and a kid. Uh, and Booker Pickett Jr., who who rose up the rankings 150 spots, he's he's a top 100 edge rusher now in the country as far as the, the final 247 composite rankings. So f- from a you know spending and roster management perspective, uh, those guys certainly took care of business. But this the, the interesting part of this conversation, besides all of that, just kind of pertaining to what what's going on with Tennessee right now, because Tennessee obviously got in trouble with with uh, with the, you know bringing a plane, a private plane, to bring uh, their quarterback Nico Iamaleva over. Florida was getting inve- investigated for Jaden Rashada. So my editors were like, "Dude, you better find, you better talk to some people and find out is Miami still, you know, is Miami getting investigated or what sort of the deal?" Because those people were telling me they were told that the NCAA was still looking into Miami and Jaden Rashada. I can tell you that as of today, February 5th, 6th, uh, Tuesday here, uh, right around 3 o'clock, as I mentioned, that right now Miami is not under investigation, according to the people that I spoke to at Miami, okay, as far as right. the NCAA reaching out to them and all that kind of stuff. But it's obvious, Carlos, that they are very bloodthirsty right now <laughs> to get people in trouble. And they hit Florida State with some sanctions, some scholarships for, for something that happened with Amarius Mims, the offensive tackle from Georgia, who ended up going back to Georgia. Uh, basically, uh, their offensive coordinator, Alex Atkins, drove him to meet with somebody from the NIL collective. Uh, and so Atkins ended up getting hit with, uh, I think it was a three-game suspension. They got some fines, some scholarships taken away. Uh, I guess Tennessee's sort of headed down the same path here. Florida, if they can ever get, you know, the whole Jaden Rashada thing squared away and, and how much was really offered. The NCAA is playing catch up with a lot of stuff. Yeah, I can tell you this, Carlos. I feel pretty confident that even though Miami has been, I don't want to say, uh, what, what's the best way to, to, to phrase this? A target? Active. A target, a target of the NCAA, even though Miami yeah. in the past has been, hey, you know, Sports Illustrated has written, should Miami drop football? I, I don't get the sense. I feel like they're on their P's and Q's. I don't think they're going to screw anything up. I'm not expecting an offseason surprise. Hey, Miami screwed up signing Cam Ward. Uh, Miami, you know, uh, tried to induce uh, Justin Scott to flip. I don't get that sense right now. I think, you know, as as it was explained to me, okay, by some very smart people, the reason why Miami's NIL collective works is because of guys like Gabby Rutia and David Lake and Matt Shodell and all the guys who run the recruiting websites, right? Like Kane Sport and, and uh, Inside the U. Because in the end, when the coaching staff discusses, uh, you know, who 
they're going after who's visiting, who's on campus, all that kind of stuff. The NIL people are basically allowed to basically not allowed, but they read those articles and now they know, okay, this is who they're after. This is who we should probably have a conversation with to explain to them. Well, if you pick Miami, this is why this is, you know, what you'll probably end up getting if you come here. So in, in the long, short explanation, the, the long, non-short explanation here is as far as storylines are concerned with Miami getting in trouble, I feel like that we're not going to come across that. And I, and I think as a UM fan, you got to probably feel pretty good, right? Like, because with as much money as they've spent on NIL and, and trying to build this thing up and getting players to come here, there's always that feeling right in the back of your mind, Carlos, that, oh man, are are we going to get screwed too? (laughs) You know, especially when you had Katie Meyer getting in trouble for the Cavender twins, right? Right. Because that was part of the whole Ruiz process early on in year one, trying to get guys over here. And when they started going crazy with NIL. So to me, if there is going to be an issue, it's going to date back to that early time period when NIL first started. And John Rue was basically running the show by himself, mm-hmm. not with the new Canes collective, the new NIL deal. So for me, I think these guys are a lot more careful and they, they're they a lot more selective in terms of who they target, how they target and how they go about it. Like you're saying, uh, they've got a system down that's, you know, basically uh, doesn't allow for uh, it allows plausible deniability in terms of how they operate. Right. Right. So to me, that's that's it. But the, that doesn't mean the NCAA is not going to try and get them. That doesn't mean the NCAA is not going to try and come after them and try and find something stupid. Right. Because they're, like you said, they're trying to play catch up now. They're at a point as an organization, as a body where they seem irrelevant to college football uh, because they don't have they aren't able to enforce things as, as they used to. They don't have the, the power or the, the cachet in the public eye as, that they used to. Right now, they're just seen as a figurehead, right? They've gone from being, you know, the leader, the emperor, to being just a figurehead like Queen Elizabeth in England, God rest mm-hmm. her soul. So uh, what, the, what I suggest is the NCAA buy some corgis and just shut up and hang out in the corner, right? And wait for <laughs> photo ops. But, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, man. They're just looking for someone to make an example out of just to prove they're still relevant. And that's stupid to me. What they need to do is adapt with the times and start adjusting their rules and start creating a situation where they can remain relevant and remain, uh, you know, beneficial and add value to these college programs before it all disintegrates. And it create just turns into, you know, NFL level two. Well, the new president, Charlie Miller, uh, did, did say, and we talked about this on the show a couple months ago, uh, I think it was in December that they were thinking about, you know, allowing, uh, creating a new subdivision or uh, another division where essentially uh, if you're paying players, right. Um, that, that uh, you, you know, it'd be 30, 40 team sort of super league, right. Uh, the schools that could afford it to, that, to run football the way that they want to. And in the end, now the big 10 and the sec are sort of mm-hmm. jumping the gun. Right. And they're saying, well, we're going to just form our own committee to start talking about things that uh, need to be fixed in college football because they're tired of the NCAA sort of meddling in a way that's that's not right. And it's weird because the NCAA ultimately is made up of these schools. So it's it's just the shifting and the and the fight for power is interesting. And then meanwhile, you and I are sitting here thinking like, well, how is this going to affect Miami down the road? And that's something you and I have talked about on this podcast quite a bit, right? Like how do they, how does Miami not get left out of the party when clearly the SEC and Big Ten are going to be at a huge advantage in the years to come in terms of how much money they're able to bring in through their TV contracts and how that sort of pertains to Miami down the road. Um, I will say this, I'm still under the impression, Carlos, that while Miami is operating like a big boy, right? They're they're spending money on NIL, uh, they're spending money on coaching, they're investing in um, 
you know, the, the football program, the, the new football facility, all of those things. I, I still in the back of my mind can't get, get out of my head that there's probably an expiration date. Whereas Mario has to turn this thing into a winner or it turns into a big pumpkin and goes back to what it was before. Right. And so is there that pressure? Yes. I think there's that pressure in the background, which is why I think this upcoming season is so important because at some point you got to make a jump, right? You got to go from, Five, seven wins to, hey, we are a real contender. You got to stop hitting singles and start hitting doubles and triples and home runs, right? Right. You got to start being meaningful. And so when I look at the schedule this year and and look at the way it's set up for Miami, right, I'm thinking this could really be a 10-11 win team with Cam Ward. Yeah, it absolutely can. Now, we we can never account for the uh the strange happenings during the course of a football season. I'm not going to mention the same thing over and over again that we've mentioned a thousand times on this podcast since it occurred and it cost this team a win. But there's always one game or two games during the course of the season for whatever reason for the last 20 years that this team seems to pull uh defeat out of the jaws of victory for some reason. Right? There's always one disappointing game or two disappointing games where you scratch your head and say, how the hell did they lose that one and why? Right? Yep. Even in 2017, you know, they got up to their Pittsburgh and laid an egg after they were playing so well throughout the entire season. They lost their chance to to try and make uh, compete and get into the playoffs. So I think if there's going to be a year where this team finally breaks through, you know, I, I said my last this pod, podcast that I put out yesterday, I think it was yesterday, the day before, whatever it was, um, that I think there would be nine and three, ten and two. I said nine and three just because I, I I don't trust this team. <laughs> it's right. not it's not Mario, it's not the players, it's just the aura around this program for the last 20 years. It, the the results, the history lead me to believe that there's going to be one game they piss away for no reason, no good reason and we have to say shit, here we are again 9 and 3, right? So they should be at least 10 and 2. They could be 11 and 1. They they might be, but we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen, but they at the very least right now they should be trending towards it. I think they still need a tight end. I think they need to discover a third receiver, and I think they need help in the secondary to really be, to really have a good chance at that 11 win season. I mentioned going over the state schools, so I, I've you know between USF, uh, Florida, and Florida State, who, who are all on the schedule next year for Miami. I got a few, I got a really good grasp for where those programs are. Um, you know, I think Miami can beat all three of them. I would say USF playing on the road at USF, who played Alabama tough. Uh, is not going to be as easy as maybe people thought a couple years ago yeah. because that coach, Alex Golish, has done a good job. Their roster is not bad. They have a really good quarterback. Um, so that game is not going to be easy. Florida um, is in a very interesting pressure-filled position. I would say they're even though they were 5-7 and seven last year, Carlos, um, and they lost some valuable guys. I think where Miami has to win that game is up front because I think that's clearly where they have the advantage, offensive and defensive line. I would say everywhere else, Graham Mertz is not a bad quarterback. He gets the job done for them in that offense. Um, you know, he's they have uh, Trey Wilson, who's a really good receiver, uh, freshman guy who, who had a great first year this past year in the SEC, put up numbers against SEC competition. Um you know, they lost some running back depth, but they still got their lead horse. Um, defensively, you know, again, pass rush, they, they lost something there. But secondary, they've got their their 
you know, outstanding freshman safety back in Castile. Uh, so uh, while Miami fans, I think, should feel confident they're going to win that game in games with start of the season, I wouldn't say be overconfident. Like, don't just look at Florida and say, oh, they're a piece of crap and they were five and seven and that's a W. Like, I think that's going to be uh, a battle for Miami. So, And I think I think the timing of the game plays and it gives the Gators a little bit more of an advantage. It gives them some a right. boost because both teams are coming in straight off the summer. No games played. They're both going to be rusty. And if it's going to be sloppy, it's better that Miami's sloppy than, you know, both teams coming in roll, rolling in midseason form because Miami would be clearly be better at that point. And the fact that Gators are playing at home, that environment, first game of the season, is going to be a smack in the face to to the Hurricanes, you know? It's yeah. not like they play in that sort of environment all the time. And uh, it's going to be interesting. Couple of things to note from the schedule. Uh, Miami has a bye week before they have to go to Louisville, which I think is very good because I think Louisville is the toughest team on paper that they're going to face at that road game yeah. at Louisville. Uh, right now, when I look at it, uh, I think Virginia Tech's an improved team. That'll be a tough first ACC home game. Not an impossible uh, home ACC opener, but but not an easy one either. Uh, especially coming off six days rest, they got to play at USF the week before. Uh, so it's a short week against Virginia Tech. The trip to California. Cal's not a bad team. They were a bowl team last year. Um, you know, but again, like that's a game you should win at Louisville um, off a of bye week. I'm going to give them a chance because they've got a bye week. And then FSU at home the following week uh, before the Manny Diaz Bowl uh, on Duke's uh, November 2nd. Um, and then trips to Georgia Tech and Syracuse with Wake Forest home game in between. Uh, Wake Forest is a shell of itself. Syracuse yeah. has a new coach in Fran Brown. Georgia Tech has their quarterback back from last season, which anytime you bring back a quarterback and an offense that can score, I always get a little nervous about it. It's a, that's a, it's a, uh, not an easy road game, okay? Mm -hmm. um, but again, because of where Miami is in the offensive and defensive line, sort of development and i wrote about this in my in my recruiting takeaways piece if you look at the state schools florida florida state miami usf ucf miami has more blue chip talent along the offensive and defensive line than any of those programs florida state has more on the offensive line they got seven offensive blue chippers in terms of guys that they've brought in not just through the transfer portal but recruiting miami only has four on the offensive line but they got 11 on the defensive line which is tied with florida for the most so Again, I, I get it. There's three stars, two stars, other guys to blow up. But if you if we're just talking about pedigree, right, younger guys, mm -hmm. guys that are going to be sort of gro groomed into the system, I feel like Miami's ceiling is higher than than the other state programs right now because of where they are in the offensive line and defensive line. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like we've talked about before, I think that's Mario's game plan is to build this program from the inside out, start there foundationally, and then you can add skilled players around them. Because at the end of the day, like we said, uh, you cannot throw the football, you cannot run the football, you cannot catch the football unless you have an offensive line that is protecting you. You can't be effective in the secondary. You cannot be a good linebacker unless you have a defensive line that's creating pressure, occupying gaps, and give you opportunities to make plays. So that to me is very important. And I think Mario's building those skill positions around those guys. Um, to me, it's it's also about the culture, right? Are they ready to win? Are they ready to take that next step? Have they built themselves up enough and to be able to be that kind of a program that they envision themselves being. It's not just about the stars. It's not just about the talent because Miami's had blue chip talent for 20 years, right? Many of their opponents on the schedule, they have out-talented by significant amounts throughout the years here, especially in ACC play, right? But yet 
the average record for the Hurricanes over the last 20 years in the ACC is around four and four, five and three. They have been mediocre in the conference ever since they got into it, even though they've had more talent than most of the conference. So I don't think we're in that position with Mario now. I think it's trending in the right direction. My hope is that culturally it's changed. Uh, this influx of talent, this influx of his culture and his persona is going to help take it to that next level. But more importantly, I hope Cam Ward can put people on his shoulders and, and lead them to victory. And you need him to. Uh, Carlos, let's dive into the mailbag. Uh, I know there are people who uh, have questions here for us, and I, and I don't. I, I feel like this will help us get into some other topics maybe that we haven't necessarily touched on or at least maybe think about them in a different way. Uh, this one's first one. Uh, this first one is from Armando Izaguirre. Ay2 Mondo, he was on one of the previous pods, if you remember. Uh, yeah, yeah, says, that's, that's really that's really Orlando uh, as a Gary, uh, <laughs> right? Trying to get uh, topics for his show. Yeah, uh, best case scenario for Ward, Ward, worst case scenario for Ward in the upcoming season. Asking because of TVD season we just endured. The first four weeks was the best case. The next four was the worst case. Um, best case scenario, I, I think I'm not going to say Heisman Trophy. Okay, because I don't think Miami, I don't think Miami has enough weapons for him to put up all of the numbers that you need to put up to win a Heisman Trophy. I also don't think he runs and takes off nearly as much as other dual threat quarterbacks who will be in the running for the award do. But I think the best case for Ward is he leads Miami to the ACC championship. Uh, and and Miami gets into the playoff. That's the best case scenario. It's a dream season. They maybe lose one game in the regular season, but get into the twelve team playoff. Yeah, I'd say around 32 touchdowns, somewhere between five and seven interceptions, uh, somewhere between 3,500 and 3,800 yards. I think that would be a best-case scenario, something along the lines of what we were expecting Tyler Van Dyke to do before he just went uh, submarine on us. Um, worst-case scenario is an injury, right? I think right. that that would be the worst case. I don't think he would have a season where you're like Tyler Van Dyke, where you're like, oh my God, you're extremely disappointed. He just blew this season midway through and becomes yeah. a turnover machine in terms of turning the ball over. He's played a lot of football. He's thrown the ball a lot, and he's never shown that sort of uh, propensity to be to, to just nosedive and tank. Right? So I think he'll be okay. He may be just right around what he was last year, 25, 26 touchdowns, seven interceptions, or he may be a lot better, like we said. But I don't think there's – in terms of his performance, I don't think there's going to be a huge drop uh, at any point during the season, he is what he is, and you're going to get what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, all right. This is from Connor six five four seven one four eight nine. I love the fact that he gives us his uh, prison cell. He's eight six seven five three zero nine. Position of concern heading into the spring for me, it's depth at cornerback. Beyond Damari, uh, Richard, and Porter, we have no experience or top talent outside of maybe Stafford though I heard he was hurt much of last season. Yeah, I think we agreed on this, and we talked about yeah. this a little bit earlier. I think cornerback uh, and safety, to me, remain. I mean, listen, Cam Kitchens and James Williams were not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Ed Reed and Sean Taylor back there, uh, but they were good, and Cam was an All-American uh, a year ago, and he, he is he was a guy who got you, he made plays, right? You don't win the Virginia game this year without his pick six. Um James Williams, uh, among the leading tacklers on the team, a, a guy who at times was out of position, missed tackles in the past. This year he played better, I thought. I thought he had his best season this past year, Carlos. Um, that's not easy to replace. Those guys are talented, um, and safety breakdowns can lead to a lot of frustrating uh you know, you, you need to have good safeties to to sort of prevent yourself from those big mistakes. And 
I think there's going to be times this coming season where Miami's going to make big mistakes on defense because they're going to have guys that aren't Cam Kitchens or James Williams. I'm going to go the other way around. I think this season they may end up being better at that back-end position to the safety position because they don't have guys that are supremely talented like James Williams and Cam Kitchens that are more focused on the details and the fundamentals, right, and of being in the right position and not giving up the big play. Whereas James Williams was constantly headhunting and trying to make the big hit and make the big play, which caused a lot of, uh, you know, missed tackles and big plays and missing of interceptions. Cam Kitchens, after the injury, you know, made a lot of mistakes in coverage uh, after that, to be quite frank. You know, he wasn't the same guy following his injury when he came back. Uh, he did have the interception against Virginia, but after that, outside of that, it was pretty rough for him the rest of the season. So to me, having some guys that are steady back there as opposed to, you know, guys that are talented and pop here and there uh, might make a big difference, especially when it comes to not giving up big plays in the past in the past game. Uh, and also being in the right position in run fits, not falling asleep when it comes to play action passes or guys sneaking out of the backfield or running rail routes down the sideline. Those things make a difference in terms of how your defense operates and type of big plays they give up. Not to say James Williams and Cam Kitchens were great and they did, didn't contribute a lot to the program during their time here, but I do believe they weren't, um, you know, they had their flaws and and that caused some issues on the back end of the defense. How you resolve that is by being better fundamentally, being in the right spot and not giving up big plays. This is from uh, Stephen Thunder, 56 Blacksican, one of your favorite uh, longtime listeners, first Love time callers. Uh, was Lito in the seventh floor crew? If not, did he want to be? Wow. Um, no, I couldn't gain entry to that. Not that I would want to. That's that's not my style. I am not. Uh, I, I did not hang out with the Quad City DJs. I am not down with the train. Uh, Tony Perez, big Chilean 63 says, is there any truth to the rumors? Raul will be the next running backs coach. I think there's, there's a rumor that Raul will be the pregame Colada guy that I've, I've heard there are discussions for that, but uh, you know, running backs coach. No. Okay. The only thing he's running from is the police. He's a hundred miles and running like NWA. <laughs> this is from Andrew V underscore 17. Do you know how many players are on scholarship currently? Are there any positions that should be addressed in the next transfer portal window? Andrew, I don't have an exact number. Um, I can tell you based on my breakdown, I can, if, if you want, I can go to my little chart here where I have the entire team listed by position. If you do the math, nine additions via the portal, 12 departures. So you're at minus three there. You lost five guys to the NFL. Cohen, Matt Lee, Leonard Taylor, James Williams, and Cam Kitchens, who all could have come back. So now you are at 17 departures, nine additions. So that gives you eight scholarships to play with, not including the guys who uh, ran out of eligibility. So uh, Miami has 16 guys on campus, as I mentioned before. So if you if you want to do the math and just start at 85, right, and say 85, how do we get there? Um, like I said, uh, the 12 who left, the five who went to the NFL, um, that's 17. And then you have 16 on campus, right? As I said, plus the nine transfers. So, so there's probably another seven to eight guys that we don't know about that they haven't announced they're done with football is, is my guess, right? If you just sit there and do the math. Uh, and then you just got to look at, you know, the offensive and defensive lines, um, you know, positions where, where guys will, you know, haven't seen the field yet or probably will never see the field or maybe have to medically retire. Um, so, 
you know, those are it'll, it'll we'll we'll know the answer for sure when spring football starts. But I can tell you that there's no way that they're operate they're going to be operating over the cap. The way the scholarship count works now, um, they get to 85 one way or the other, and usually it's by telling a guy, "Hey, we're taking your ship, but the school's still going to pay for your education for you to finish school here." And that's and that's what they've done. You just can't play football. Thank you for the math. All right. So, uh, if a and let's let's continue it. Uh, if a plane, a private plane, leaves John Ruiz's strip hangar at uh, seven thirty-five a.m. and uh, charts a course to a five stars house, uh, go ahead. Um, he said, "Are there any positions that should be addressed in the transfer portal window?" I think if there's an elite receiver or an elite defensive tight end. back or a tight end, somebody who becomes available because uh, they're not happy with their situation, then then yes, Miami's probably like, like interested. We, if we can entice Mason Smith down here, right? Yeah, or to Mason Taylor. Sorry. Correct. Uh, bigger game, according to Rob Cabal here, the Saban Bowl or the Cafecito Bowl, and I think when he when he says the Saban Bowl, is he referring to uh, Florida's coach Mario. Billy Napier, who was on ah. staff, I think. With yeah, that's probably what he means. Uh, and the Cafecito Bowl, of course, Manny Diaz. I, I personally look Miami and Florida is always going to get more excitement from people who don't follow the program on an everyday basis. So there's going to be more hype for Miami, Florida. It's the opener. But the reality is if Mario loses the cafecito bowl, there will be some serious heat on his ass from the fans. Not only, not only because, you know, it's, it's the former coach beating the current coach at home, right? The hurricanes have that game at home. November 2nd. Um, Not only that, but, Manny Diaz used to put Splenda in his cafecito. He didn't use real sugar, so didn't speak Spanish, didn't use real sugar. And Mario gets his ass kicked by a dude that puts Splenda in his cafe. Mario, you need to start packing your shit and get out of here. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. saying. If a dude that puts Splenda in his cafecito beats you, you got to start packing your shit and get out of here. That's it. This is uh, all fair points. This is from Lowell Carr. What's the latest on injuries and who is not expected to be able to participate in spring? Like I said earlier today, uh, I don't, there's no, in, like if there's any other injuries that have happened uh, beyond uh, Mark Fletcher. And I'm trying to think to that, back to that bowl game, guys that didn't end up playing in that bowl game that were healthy and available and coming back. Like those are guys that probably had surgery, but I, I didn't sit there and take count. I wasn't at the bowl game. Um, I just think, you know, there's always going to be guys that have surgery. There's always guys that deal with injuries, right? And then Mario just says, go have surgery. We don't need you in the spring. And he's fine with that because he much more prefers them for when the games count. Yep. So we'll find out. I'll be out at one of the first practices taking count with, with everybody else out there. Uh, this is from Franco Anton. Skip <laughs> sucks maker. Do you think Miami will ever schedule FIU again? for some payback. Carlos, what do you think? If you were Miami, would you ever schedule FIU again? Uh, I'd wait until this program was rolling again to then make it like the Washington game and the Orange Bowl back in 2001. Right. You want something like that. You don't want it to be somewhere where this came, this team is just still 7-5, and 6-6, six and 8-4, six, and four, still middling and giving FIU some hope again to, to pull the upset. You want it to be, listen, this team's making the playoffs consistently. They're back to where they need to be recruiting-wise and winning-wise. Then you, then you schedule FIU, and then you kill a mosquito with an axe. <laughs> um, I, I would not schedule FIU unless you have no choice. I just There's no reason to bring that game back, 
to to have to bring back those thoughts of hey, like you said, start getting rolling, and then and then once you're in the middle of rolling, nobody's gonna care, right? Because you'll be winning. If I um, this is from Brent Peterson, BP ninety one twenty one on Twitter. Which roster looks better at this point, Miami or FSU? Good question, Brent. Um, Florida State brings back its entire starting offensive line pretty much. There's two guys that are gone, but they had guys that were injured and backups that have all started a bunch of games. Quarterback, they've got DJ Uyangale, who, you know, if you were to put a gun to my head and say, what's the difference between him and Jordan Travis? He's he weighs more than Jordan Travis and he's tougher to bring down. Um, then you look at running back and receiver. They lost quite a bit there um, at both of those spots. Tight end, you know, their backup tight ends left. So they're probably gonna have to play a true freshman uh, defensively. They've got, you know, they lost Jared verse. They lost a couple of their linebackers. Their front seven isn't very deep, especially linebacker and susceptible. Then you look at the secondary. I think they've got three starters back in their secondary, plus they recruited really well at that position. So there's your FSU breakdown if you don't know FSU. Miami, I'm worried about their secondary and their inexperience there, but I don't think FSU has the receivers right now on paper that put any sort of fear into me that say DJ Uyungle is going to light up Miami because his receivers are studs. That's not to say FSU couldn't. Because they they recruited a lot of speed at that position, they just don't have much in the way of experience. So, right now, home game for Miami, I would take Miami by ten points against Florida State. How much did it kill you to have to say that as a Florida State fan <laughs> that Miami is going to be winning by? <laughs> Listen, Florida State fans, I'm sure are rolling their eyes and thinking I'm a I'm a big a hole for saying that. But uh, having just talked to Irish Afel, who one of their beat writers, uh, for about half an hour yesterday, we both kind of came to an agreement that Miami's in a much better position to win this year than Florida State is because Florida State is unproven at the skill positions. They need one of their running backs to become a stud, and none of those guys on paper right now make you feel that way. Um, and at receiver, very questionable. There's there's talent, there's ability, but none of those guys are proven. Miami's got two proven receivers. Uh, so, you know, I think right now on paper, Miami's better. One more question from Franco Anton. Whatever happened with Zion Nelson? Carlos, do you have any theories? Um, You know, I have no clue. that You have a serious injury like that, and it's hard to come back from it. At some point, once they started recruiting the offensive line the way they did under Mario, he just became expendable, right? If he wasn't uh, the, the required left tackle that they needed to plug in there no matter what. Uh, and the fact that Jalen Rivers came in and stepped in at left tackle and did such a good job, did an admirable job, they felt like, you know what, Zion, maybe it's best that, uh, you know, you don't play football for us anymore. We'll pay off, like you said, we'll pay your, your for your school, you could finish uh, your education here, or you could hit the portal and see if you can find somewhere else to play. But right now, we don't have a place for you, and I think that's what happened. Well, uh, he's not at Club 609. I thought, you know, you were going to come up with something creative and say he's he's bouncing at Club 609 um, because that's not that doesn't happen anymore. There's no Club 609, right? It, how long has that been gone? Oh, man, that's been gone for a long, long time. But you right. ran some beautiful bells. He was probably standing. He's probably standing outside the Whiskey Lounge now in his dreams. Uh, Zion, very smart guy. I'm sure he got his degree already. He's probably working on Masters or something else uh, at Miami if he's still around. Um, no cartilage in his knee is what I was told, you know, basically from, from the injuries and the surgeries that he had to have. So I don't know that he'll ever play football again. At this point, I would not expect that to happen, but 
hey, we'll see what happens in the spring. Uh, this is the final question. This is from Canes, Mr. Canes, 5150. Is Dan Radakovich the right athletic director to lead us out of the ACC during this march towards two super conferences? All right, Kane. Um, I don't think the athletic director is going to play as pivotal a role as maybe you think. I think this is more about TV dollars and whether or not the Big Ten wants a program like Miami. Can Miami become attractive to the Big Ten? They are already um, an AAU school in terms of the academic side of it, which they needed to be. Um, and the Big Ten recruits Florida more than any other state in the country. So is Miami an attractive piece? Yes. I think that is far more important than anything Dan Radakovich will say or do in the next couple of years. And it has to be attractive, you know, not just because of the winning. It has to be winning, right? But it has to be consistent winning. It has to be a, uh, you know, they have the program has to be attractive from the standpoint that it's going to be a consistent winner and it's built a foundation that's sustainable, right? It can't be like a Florida State flash in the pan undefeated season where it's all done with portal help, right? It can't be, you can't try and, and, and lure Michigan, uh, the, the Big Ten, or maybe even the SEC by just getting a BBL, some lip fillers, and some Botox, because that ain't going to happen. You can't be all fake. That's only going to last so long. If you right. get near a heater, if you're out in the sun too long, all that shit starts to melt. You look discombobulated. You look like Madonna. Have you seen Madonna lately, by the way? <laughs> no. She looks Do yourself bad. a favor when you're done with this right now. You Google Madonna 2024, and you tell me that woman does not look like the Predator. Oof, Jesus, Jesus Christ, what has happened to that woman? Anyway, Botox. That is the, yeah, that is besides the point. No, not Botox, my man. We are talking about full on just all kinds of stuff being shoved in her face or her backside. It's just ridiculous. It's 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 awful. It's all anyway. And somehow she's hanging out at Kanye West parties. Where where did Kanye and Madonna be? Where did this friendship start? Right. So, um, yeah, they have to be attractive in a way that the Big Ten feels like they match everything they stand for, not just academically, but also they don't want to bring in a program or have to give up a part of their share of right. the money high and bringing a team that they feel isn't going to represent the Big Ten the best way possible when it comes to competition because they already have Rutgers. <laughs> Who beat us, by the way. Yeah, they did. They did. Um, well, I, I think in the long run, again, um, I, I, the Dan Radakovich question, I guess the real question is, is he going to be able to raise money uh, in the next six years, five years, while Miami's waiting to get that Big Ten money down the road um, to make sure that NIL doesn't fall off? That's really what the athletic director is. He's a fundraiser, Carlos. Yeah. Um, so, so he's got two options of doing that, right? He's got to build off the success of the program because the program's winning and use that to leverage donations. Mm -hmm. Or two, he's got to borrow one of John Ruiz's cigarette boats and start moving weight. <laughs> one or the other. It's got to happen. He's got to become a cocaine cowboy. He's got to get some square goals. Carlos, this was fun. Uh, let's do this again in another month. What do you say? Maybe a month and a half. Maybe a month and a half. Take some more time off. <laughs> I am going to be broadcasting my first game for ESPN Plus on Friday. FIU softball, their season opener against Southeastern Missouri. I'll be doing it with George Richards, my former colleague at the Miami Herald. It's a 12.30 p.m. start. So it's going to be my first time on television. I got to be a color analyst. Um, then I'm going to be doing an FIU men's basketball game. I think February 22nd, they play against Liberty at home. So I'm entering the TV realm. 
I hope I don't look as bad as I do right now on this YouTube channel. If you're watching us on YouTube, um, and the only thing I want to say is besides the uh, the TV gig, I'm hoping my my soccer team bounces back from their season opening four to one loss, Carlos. I have I'm coaching twelve to nine year old girls outdoor soccer. We had done the indoor thing, and um, I'm coaching Jocelyn, my oldest. And she's she she's excited. She loves soccer. She thinks this is the coolest thing ever. She wishes she would have started earlier. So that's a good thing. But losing really sucks. And and those girls, uh, they take it hard. Carlos, my any advice for me uh, in terms of, you know, getting you you have a daughter who runs track. Uh, how do we how do I get the most out of them? How do I do that as a coach? First of all, you try to quote Ted Lasso as much as possible. You know okay. that already. You're doing a good job with that. Uh, number two, let the, the the losses build character. There's that old saying, you know, you could lose a game, but don't lose a lesson, right? Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, you lost to the defending champions. You scored a goal at the end. They changed things up. They decided to start playing at the end of the game. You build off that little momentum and you carry that into the next game. And I always find that offering them a Frappuccino after the game, if they win, uh, helps. Okay. So uh, just, you know, bait them into winning. Bribe them. Bribe them. Okay. Twelve year old girls. They 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 love that. All right. I'm gonna try my best. I I hope to report that the season turned around and we and we started playing well. The next and time they're you all and I hopped up episode. on caffeine and addicted to frappuccinos. Thanks to you. Yeah. Make sure you uh buy some t-shirts from Carlos. How how have the sales been going? By the way. Good the man. Just got, a, pod. just got a couple more orders. Uh, really haven't been pushing it as much lately because obviously it's tax season. It was the holidays and stuff like that. But it's gone mm -hmm. well. People have uh, inquired again recently, so I'm feeling good about it. Today I'm not wearing any of that stuff. I'm actually wearing uh you know my my satin Luke jacket, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm wearing a, a different uh, apparel hat. But hey, the stuff is still available. DM me on Twitter uh, or X, whatever the hell it's called, Mia Ledo, and I'll give you information on what we have available. All right, go do some taxes or something. Who are you picking in the Super Bowl? Who who, who are you taking? Kansas City or San Francisco? The New York Giants. Oh no, um, I'm gonna take the 49ers just because uh one of my best friends is a 49er fan. Okay. And I hate Patrick Mahomes' stupid haircut. All right. That's a good reason. I, I think the Chiefs are going to win and be called the dynasty or something. Yeah, that's all we need. Well, the, the walrus will reign supreme, Andy, Andy Reid. Yeah, the best mustache I've ever seen frozen. Uh, that was classic. Yeah. Yeah. All right. If you want to uh, check out more Wide Right, make sure you subscribe. If you want to check out the MIA All Day podcast, uh, make sure you check that out and you follow Carlos on Twitter. I'm on Twitter as well. I'm still going to call it Twitter. I don't care if you call it X or not. Just uh, like I still call it Joe Robbie. Subscribe to The Athletic. I need some money uh, in terms of uh, keeping my job. I thought I had a good opening month of January, but, you know, you got to keep the ball rolling. You got to keep delivering, Carlos. That's the way you know, it works. Uh, make sure you subscribe to us uh, on the uh, podcast feed if you prefer to listen to us there and see our ugly faces. We will be back probably in two weeks, Carlos, with another episode. Probably, I say. We'll see. That's tentative. Thank you, guys. See ya. Peace. It's all about the youth.